in a Christian home, so I knew all the Christian cliche sayings, but it wasn't real to me, and I truly didn't know what living out the gospel meant. I left college and moved to a big city. I took a, a job at a very affluent bank. I felt the pressures to look like everybody else, to um, be able to go and do like everybody else, to drive the cars that everybody else did, and to live the life of the city that I lived in. I felt the pressure to look a certain way, and so I would spend whatever money it costs to look that way, meaning from clothes to hair to shoes to um, accessories, even down to the weight. I would try to stop shopping. I would try to stop spending money on expensive dinners and um, appearing to be able to afford this lifestyle that I couldn't. And honestly, I didn't want to give it up. I mean, it was great to be known. It was great to have a nice car. It was great to look the part. Um, and I struggled with giving that up. Sin always has a consequence. For me, that was an incredible amount of debt that I had inquired while I was trying to live the lifestyle that um, I couldn't afford. During this time, I have never felt so empty inside. It was the most terrible feeling I've ever had. Just felt like I was a failure, felt so gross, felt like um, God must be so disappointed in me. That really changed um, my perspective enough to where um, I was ready to make a change. Through a, a lot of chain of events, I ended up um, going to Uganda for um, three months. I was a um, manager of an orphanage home um, with 57 children. I came into it knowing that there would be some there would be some challenging moments. In no way am I equipped to be a manager of a baby's home. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even a mom. I knew that it was going to be an uncharted territory for me. But I was open and willing to do whatever the Lord had asked me to do. God just equipped me in a way that I've never been equipped. I quickly realized that I don't need a lot of the things that I think that I need. I felt like I needed to fill my life with the comforts of what America says that we need. And there I realized that I need nothing but the Lord. And I need nothing but His provision. So I returned home from Uganda after three months. I am now wrestling with a call to go back for um, a year. I can't pick up and leave right now because I have the chains of debt. Satan still tries to use it to make me feel guilty from where I came and that I spent so much time and money to make myself feel better. It was all selfish working through that, but having to work harder than I would have if um, I would have started living the gospel sooner. Morning, Chapel Hill. As Peter said, my name is Ryan. I'm an elder here, and it's good to be with you this morning. If you're new here today, our lead pastor is Paul McVitie, and he's sitting dead center right in front of me here, just raised his hand, almost like an easy target. And if you will allow me, I just want for a minute, Paul gets to get up here and preach to us every week, and we don't get an opportunity to preach to Paul. So he and I are going to have a little moment here. And Paul, my word for you today is just thank you. Um, spending some time this week, obviously preparing for this message, um, gives me some empathy for what you do on a weekly basis, preparing to open God's word for your family and the responsibility that that entails, um, the love that it entails. And we are so blessed on a weekly basis by the way that you bring the word alive for all of us and for your humility 
and just the way that you love this church family. And we are just blessed by you and your family, and I just wanted to say thank you today. Yeah, love clap. So we are in the middle of a series on freedom, as, as Peter mentioned, and hopefully you guys have been enjoying it. I think it's been a great series. And today we're going to be delving into the topic of freedom from the lender or freedom from debt, which is a completely countercultural message. So what we hear in society today is that, you know, debt is something that is frankly necessary and certainly normal. And because of that, I cannot do this on my own today. So will you pray with me as we start off today? Lord, we just know that you're already here and we thank you for that. And as I just said, I know that today this message that I'm going to bring is not what we hear from our society on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And so I just ask that you would speak today, Lord. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. For you are indeed my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I was lucky enough to grow up as a missionary kid. Um, I grew up over in Hong Kong in Southeast Asia. This is a picture from one of our prayer cards when I was growing up. Contrary to what my dad's beard might indicate, we were not Amish. (laughs) But it was an incredible privilege, and being a missionary kid, you get to see up close God's word and deed in action. And one particular area that I want to talk about today that I got to see up close is the area of stewardship. And if you're new to church and you've never heard that word before, stewardship just means when you're given a job to supervise or take care of something. And it's a word we use in the church to talk about how we use God's resources. And most of you probably never thought about this, this but missionaries are in a really unique position when it comes to stewardship. Not only are they managing God's resources the same as the rest of us are called to do, but they're managing other people's resources from the standpoint of it's because of the generosity of other churches and individuals that they're even able to be there on the mission field. And I saw that. There was just a different sense with my parents that the money that they were spending was super, it was super important that they were great stewards of that because they had that subconscious realization or probably conscious realization that this was from the generosity of others and they wanted to make the most of it. And as I got older, I started to understand more what an amazing gift that was, that people had the freedom to give and to bless my parents in that way and to participate in God's kingdom in that way. My dad, in the time that he was over in Hong Kong, he planted 13 churches and two schools. And the ripples of that ministry extend all the way to today as those churches continue. And I can't even imagine the thousands of lives that have been changed as a result of his ministry, which was fueled by the generosity of others. And I got to thinking, what if? Like, what if... God's people hadn't been called to support his ministry in that way. What impact would there have been on the kingdom? And unfortunately, as you guys just heard from Daisha's message there, that what if is playing out in our culture today. There are young people and young couples who are feeling this tug on their hearts to go and serve the Lord. 
And because of choices they've made in their lives, they're held back by the chains of debt. And in many cases, having to delay answering that call. And in some cases, abandoning it altogether. And then directly related to that, it is harder than ever in America today for missionaries to raise money from churches and from individuals to go overseas and serve God because of the chains of debt that so many Americans are carrying today. And we just don't have the freedom to give to advance the kingdom as we once did. And so what we're going to talk about today is that impact of debt in our lives and the way that it limits us from living free and from answering the call that God places on our lives. And before we go any further, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page as far as what we're talking about here. And so when I'm talking about the word debt, I'm just talking about anything that we get from a lender that we owe money on that we're having to make payments on. Because sometimes people hear the word debt and they're like, oh, I don't have any debt except for my car payment. I don't have any debt except for my student loans. But debt is just something that you owe money on. And Dave Ramsey, um, who's a Christian author and speaker, in his um, message, Dumping Debt, gives a brief history of debt in America. And what's so interesting is that it's a pretty new concept how we think about debt today. And I want to share some numbers with you as we move forward. The first one is this. 1950. 1950 was the year that the first credit card started getting used. A guy named Frank McNamara was out in New York City, and he went around to a bunch of restaurants and convinced them to take this card that he was offering to diners. And that became Diners Club. Fast forward eight years, 1958, that's when the next credit cards came onto the market. So the Bank America card was issued that year, and then American Express was issued that year. The Bank America card later became known as Visa. But what's interesting is that 12 years later in 1970, only 15% of Americans actually had a credit card. Pretty low number. But that was around the time that banks realized what an amazing product they had on their hands and how much money they could make off of this product. And they started aggressively marketing it to us. And that's why when you go to your mailbox any day of the week right now and you open that up, there's about 16 envelopes from banks telling you about this great offer that they have for you to go deeper into debt. And at the same time, we started hearing more and more messages about the things we needed in our lives to accumulate that would bring enjoyment and comfort to our lives. In fact, the latest estimate is this, that we hear 3,000 messages a day, marketing messages, telling us about things we need to make our lives better. Some estimates are as high as 5,000 messages with online messaging. And the truth is that that is the message we get every day of our lives. And the result of that is this. 16,748. That is the number, the, the average amount of debt that someone that carries consumer debt carries today. 16,748. Or there's this number, 30,032. At the end of 2016, this was the average car loan amount that was being issued. First time ever in history that it's been over $30,000. Directly related to that is this number, $503. That is the average monthly car payment now that people have in the United States. Per car, $503. Also the first time that that's been 
over $500. And related to this, as well as the amount of time people are taking on to pay off these debts, keeps growing as well, so that the average monthly time frame now is 64 months. But a third of them are 84 months, which is seven years. And there's this number, 37,142. That is the average student debt that graduates in 2016 graduated college with. In fact, student debt has become the largest debt burden that we have today as a country. $1.4 trillion in student debt. And a lot of people, you know, I think that the common American response to this is, hey, as long as I can afford the payments, I'm fine. But the truth is this. 63% of Americans are one paycheck away from financial disaster and would not have the money on hand to meet a $500 emergency. That's like, if I divided our, if we were average, which I know we're not, if I divided the sanctuary this way, this whole two-thirds of the sanctuary would not have the capability to meet a $500 emergency in their life. And then there's this number. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the debtor is slave to the lender. So Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, also known as the wisest man to ever live, is referring to our, our relationship to debt as slavery. And we're in a series on freedom. And so anytime someone contrasts something with the idea of freedom, it's a good idea to delve a little bit deeper into that. And I also know when that word came up, that a lot of you probably felt it. In fact, as I was running through some of those numbers, probably some of you were adding up the numbers in your own head of where you fit into this picture. And the truth is that this is a very, very real picture of where so many of us stand today, that we truly feel like we are in slavery. And I want to take us back to our theme verse for this series, Galatians 5.1, that says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As we've been talking about, God wants us to live free in our lives. And debt is the complete opposite of that. It's as Solomon says, it's like slavery. And today we're going to delve into a little bit further, as I said, about the ways that debt can limit us in our lives and how debt can take us away from this idea of freedom. And if you're a note taker, it's a great time to get out your notes. There's no page in your bulletin. Um, In there I have some fill-in-the-blanks that you can jot along with. And the first thing we're going to talk about today, the first way that debt limits our freedom, is that debt limits our spiritual life. Debt limits our spiritual life. There's this great quote from Diane Chandler in her book, Christian Spiritual Formation, and it says this. God gave humankind oversight and responsibility for created things. If God owns it all, then how we use money, possessions, and time for God's glory reveals the quality of our spiritual lives. How we use money, possessions, and time for God's glory reveals the quality of our spiritual lives. Is that how you would think about measuring the quality of your spiritual life? If someone asks you, hey, tell me how are things going in your spiritual life, would that be your go-to? I know it wouldn't be for me. I think a lot of us would go to, maybe we'd start with the fruit of the Spirit. You know, how am I living in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? 
Or maybe we'd go to some of our spiritual disciplines. You know, how are we doing with our quiet time? Um, how's our prayer life? Are we making it to, you know, 80% of church services on an annual basis? Rarely, and maybe almost never, do we use this as the measuring stick for our lives. And this is a completely countercultural message. But the truth is that this is the message of Jesus. And Jesus knew what a struggle this was going to be for us. And you've probably heard the statistic before that Jesus talked about money far more than so many things in the Bible, including heaven and hell. And he said this in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a a great word from, from Jesus. And I think if I were to summarize it, I would say it this way. That we cannot connect with our Heavenly Father when we're connecting with our stuff. And I can't think of any tighter connection to our stuff than being in chains to it. And being enslaved to it. And I think one of the messages from Jesus is that we shouldn't be chained to the things of this earth, to the treasures of this earth, but we need to be free to experience him. And that's the message of this verse. God does not want our treasures. I frankly had a misunderstanding of this verse for many years. And I thought, all right, like it's my treasures that God wants and I got to put them in the right place. But no, he wants our heart. And when he has our heart, then a right relationship with our treasures is going to flow from that. And again, this is such a counter message to what we're hearing in the world today. In fact, Jesus goes on just a few verses later and he says this, carries on this analogy that Solomon started. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I do think we've been duped. I think we've we don't think that that's true. I think we feel like, yeah, we can still have our treasures and be attached and be worshiping God. But as we saw in that quote from Diane Chandler, that as a measure of our spiritual life, how we use our money, our possessions, and our time is a measure of our spiritual life. And truly, like, if we are looking for financial wholeness, it does need to start with spiritual wholeness and a pursuit of our Savior. His debt limits our spiritual life. The second area that debt can limit in our life is that debt limits our generosity. How many of you, this is a rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been so moved by something that you just felt that tug in your heart that, oh, I want to give, I want to be involved in that, and especially financially, I want to get behind it. Maybe it's when the Teen Challenge Choir is singing up here and we hear those testimonies of victory and see how God is moving and breaking, breaking free the chains of addiction. And we feel moved to say, I want to participate in that. Or maybe last night you were at the No Longer Music kickoff and you're hearing about the global youth culture and the need for people to hear about Jesus. And you felt moved and you wanted to get involved. But then you started doing the math. And you start looking through your version of those numbers and adding them up, those payments 
on a monthly basis and what you owe. And when you got to the bottom of that list, the number didn't match where your heart was. And you didn't have the freedom to give and be obedient to that call and tug on your heart. Ben Pierce was here a few weeks ago, and when he was preaching, he said something that really struck me um, and frankly convicted me. And he said that in the American church today, that we are increasingly trading obedience for comfort. And I don't know about you, but that phrase just stuck with me, and it hit me hard because I realized there are so many areas of my life where that is a truth for me. And I think in the American church today, it is no more a truth anywhere else than in this area of generosity. And I think it's helpful for us to go a little bit deeper and understand what God's word says about how we as a church and as believers are called to generosity. And Paul writes this in his second letter to the Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. For some quick context here, so Macedonia is just north of Greece, and there is a ton of political competition between those two countries. And so when Paul's writing this to the church in Corinth in Greece, he's actually trying to egg them on a little bit and say, hey, you guys, the Macedonians are doing this. Check out what they're doing. Trying to get their competitive juices flowing a little bit. And he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, it was likely a persecution of some sort, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So the sense that they figured out, they did the math, figured out what they could give, and then they went a step even further than that. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, to the church. They were giving to the church. Today's Caring Fund Sunday, and Sarah was up here announcing that. And you know, I'm convicted. I have to tell you that I don't often think about the privilege that it is for us to care for our brothers and sisters in church. And I certainly have never pleaded for the opportunity to care for my brothers and sisters in that way. And they exceeded our expectations, it goes on to say. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And Paul's steering us back to that idea of giving God our heart and the fact that they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave him their heart and out, they gave him their heart and out of that flowed this generosity. Paul got even more aggressive. In 1 Timothy, he says this, command, not ask, command, not request, command those who are rich in this present world. Now be honest, when I just read the word rich, how many of you tuned out and thought, this isn't for me, he's not talking to me? My guess is most of you. I know when I've read books about the rich man, in the Bible before and read read about the rich man, my response is usually, oh, he's probably not talking to me. And I know this because the Gallup Gallup poll recently did a survey, and they asked people of different income levels, 30,000 a year, 60,000 a year, 100,000 a year. They asked them, what number, what annual income would make you feel rich? What would you need to get to to feel rich? And they came up with a number that I'll share with you today. And the number is... Exactly twice as much as you currently make. 
And I think that's interesting because I just think it underscores that none of us ever feel rich because there's always someone with more. And that's often the direction that we're looking is who has more than me? And clearly I'm not rich. That person's rich. I can't be rich. I don't have that. But the truth is today, and hear this, if you make $32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's population today for annual earnings. That means if there's 100 people in line, you're at the front of it. And again, I think we miss this because we're always looking that direction because there's always someone with more. So from now on, when you read in Scripture something about those who are rich in this present world, all of us need to say, Jesus is talking to me. And Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. We're not to put our hope in treasure, but in our God, who richly provides. He goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. One of the things I've loved about this series so far is we've been talking about the things that we want to be free from. And we've also been crafting a picture of what we need to be free to. And I love the end of this verse that God wants us to leave our debt, our slavery to debt, and move into a life that is truly life. And that's what we're being called to today, but so many of us are being held back because debt limits our ability to be generous. Next area that I want to note is that debt limits our relationships. The latest statistics are that 53% of marriages today end in divorce. And the number one cause of divorce is money fights. In fact, 80% of those people getting divorced say that money fights was one of the biggest contributing factors to their divorce. And debt certainly plays a big role in that conversation for a lot of different reasons. Um, One might be just disagreement on the approach. Maybe one person in the marriage is convicted that, yeah, we need to start paying down some of this debt, but the other person's not on board, and they disagree Or maybe there's resentment because maybe one half of the relationship brought in a bunch of debt with them and then they're both having to fight to pay it off and there's a resentment that builds up with that. But one thing that is certainly true is that communication gets really tough. I read so many articles about how money is one of the hardest things for anyone to talk about, but especially couples, which is so interesting. But they stop communicating. One of the statistics I read is that one in four married people report lying about or hiding a purchase that they made from their spouse. And it's just not an area that we talk about. And I think sometimes it's because of that feeling of slavery. Maybe there's guilt associated with it and so on. And so we just tend to ignore it. And it builds up and becomes a wedge in a relationship. This has gotten really hard for newlyweds today. The amount of debt that people are bringing into relationships 
has grown significantly. And Larry Burkett used to say that the other interesting thing today is that newlyweds spend the first year of their life trying to attain the same standard of living that their parents had. But it took their parents 30 years to attain it. And I think the pressures of this world to gain comfort paired with the debt that they're bringing in is putting so much pressure on relationships and limiting those relationships because debt can limit our relationships. The last area to jot down is this, that debt limits our future. So I led with that video today with Daisha sharing her story, and it was such a clear picture of this, of God got a hold of her heart. She wants to be obedient. And as she said, though, the chains of debt are holding her back from pursuing that future with Jesus. And I think this happens not just with those that are getting called into Christian ministry, but for so many of us today, because the truth is that debt does just hold us back. Said simply, it's a lot easier to move without chains than it is to move with chains. And I think this picture in Romans 12, 1 is helpful here, where where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And we want that to be true in our lives, but it's hard to offer ourselves up when someone else, someone else already has us in chains. Because debt limits our future. So I don't know where you're at today, church. My guess is if we're, if we're anywhere close to average, that some of what I've been talking about is real in your life. When you think about measuring your spiritual life by that measuring stick of how you're using your money, your possessions, and your time, how's it measure up? When you think about that picture of the Macedonian church and how they were giving out of their poverty and how they figured out what they could give and then they went past that, how are we doing in that area of our lives? Or what about from a marriage standpoint? And as you reflect back on the past couple of months and how you and your spouse have been communicating, have you been on the same page of one heart and mind with your finances? Or are you not even talking about it and just pretending that the problem's going to go away? And then as you think about your future, do you feel free to listen to God's call to offer your body as a living sacrifice and know that you have the freedom to move where he wants you to move and go where he wants you to go? Or do you feel limited by the choices that you've made in life and the debt that you're currently dealing with? If you're in any of those situations today, the message I absolutely have is one of hope and of freedom because God can absolutely move in this area of our lives. And I want to close with some application here Continuing your notes, there's five steps to freedom here that I'm going to list. By no means are these comprehensive, but I wanted to give just some practical ways for us to move forward today if you're wrestling with anything that I've talked about today. And so the first step to freedom that you can take is to give God your heart. As we talked about in Matthew, that's what God wants from us. And out of offering that to him, a right view and a right relationship with money is going to come from that. And I also want you to put your hope in God. 
Because for so many, and I've been a coordinator for Financial Peace University for a long time, and so many people enter that program feeling hopeless. And God has a message of hope today because, again, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he absolutely can help you in this area of your life. A second step to freedom is this. Stop borrowing. It's pretty simple, right? When you think about being in chains already, though, adding more chains is not going to help the situation. And so if you're in debt today, I just challenge you to figure out how you're going to stop borrowing more money. Maybe for some of you, that's taking your credit cards and cutting them up and just saying, that's not going to be a way I'm going to pay for things anymore. Or maybe you're thinking about that 30032 average car loan, and you're thinking, you know what? My beater feels pretty good for a little while longer right now. And maybe you need to figure out how to be saving to pay cash for your next car instead of taking out an average American loan. But you need to stop borrowing. So the next area, next step to freedom, is set a budget. That is like such a dirty word. People hate the word budget. Really, like it conjures up all of these, I don't know, it conjures up even an image of slavery of like, all right, like I'm, I, I'm being told how I have to spend my money. But Dave Ramsey, Christian author and speaker, says this, that you need to start telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, okay? Andy Stanley, who's an author uh, or a speaker um, <clears throat> out at North Point Community Church, um, says it this way, you got to be knowing where all your money is going, okay? And so if you've never set a budget before, just a qu- quick idea for you here, and that is for the next month, everything that you spend, save that receipt. Whether you pay with cash, credit card, however you pay for it, keep that receipt. And make sure you're, if you're married that your spouse does the same thing. Gather up all those receipts at the end of the month. Add them all up and split them into categories. And that'll help you just start to get a sense for how you are spending your money. Because frankly, so many people, in fact, no one, I don't think, desired and set off to get in debt. Right? Debt is something that we wander into. We can't wander out of it, but it's something that we wander into. And a lot of it is just because we're not paying attention. And we end up spending more than we make because we're not telling our money where to go. And instead, we wonder where it went. The fourth step to freedom in this area is to make giving a priority. We looked at that picture of the Macedonian church and, and how Paul, what Paul commanded to Timothy. And this is an area of life that God wants our heart. And he wants us to be generous. And he wants us to be a priority. And the best way to make this a priority is to make it the first thing that you do every month. Before you pay your mortgage, before you buy groceries, before you save, you give. And this is a tough concept, but this is what helps us be of the same mind as God. And it's when we, when we think about not putting our hope in riches, but in our God who richly provides, this is the best way to do it. We make a statement personally in our hearts that when we're giving first, that we're putting our hope in our God who richly provides and not hope in our riches. And so I haven't really used the word tithe today. If, if you're new to church, you've never heard that word. A tithe is just 10%. And the Bible talks about giving a tithe of our first fruits. And again, that's just to underline that 
It's first fruits. It should be off the top. And let me be clear, some of you aren't in a position today because of everything that we just talked about to give freely. But start somewhere. So maybe it's not starting at 10%. Maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's half percent. It's whatever you can scrape. But do it first. And make giving a priority. The last step is one for those that want to go deeper, and that is to take Financial Peace University. Um, This is an amazing program. For those of you not familiar with it, it's a nine-week program that goes deeper into this topic that we talked about today. And actually not just debt, but total money management. Um, It's a nine-week course. Um, We'll be offering one here um, in the fall. I'll be leading one um, here in the fall. I encourage you to sign up for that. If you didn't like my preaching today, don't worry, I don't actually teach in that. It's Dave Ramsey on video. All right, I just coordinate the class, so don't let that scare you away. Um, But it's an opportunity for you to go deeper and find some accountability in this topic and to find some time to just delve into it a little bit. And if you're feeling an urgency today, don't wait till fall. Um, You can go online to FPU Central, and there's Financial Peace University classes that are held all over the Twin Cities, and you can sign up for one and take them there. So debt limits our ability to live out the call that Jesus has placed on our lives. And I want to close with a story today. Um, Just last weekend, my in-laws came to visit, and they attend a small evangelical church in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And over the past year, they've been going through a pastor search. Their pastor had moved on to a leadership position um, within their ministry. Um, and they've been going through this pastor search. And just two weeks ago, the leadership of the church got up in front of the church and said, we need to let you guys know something. Someone has stepped up and paid off our million-dollar mortgage as a church. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of joy and clapping and celebration and even some tears as people started imagining what they could do as a church without that burden and slavery to the lender as a church. And one of the exhortations in that was, so church, don't stop giving. Think of what we can do now that our mortgage is paid off. And I want you to dream with me for a second today. What if... We, as God's people, understood this countercultural message and went against it, went against what the world is telling us, and pursued God with our hearts and let our treasure flow after that. And what if we were able to pay off our personal debt? What if we inverted that budget that I was talking about when you get to the bottom and there's nothing left and we started with it at the top? And the numbers below it became smaller and smaller because we paid down that debt. How generous could we be? And what impact could we have? Today, Sarah already announced, you were given your faith promise cards. Like I think about my dad's ministry, those 13 churches that he planted, and the ripples of that and how far they extend, and the treasures in heaven that came from that. And I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be storing up my treasures. And so as you take that faith promise card home and you look at that number, I want you to keep the Macedonian church in mind and think, how can we set a number and how can we go past it? And how can we let generosity flow 
out so that we can have the freedom to take hold of a life that is truly life. And I hope and I pray that that becomes the cry of our hearts. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now and we'll ask the worship team to come back up and let's pray together. Lord, this is such a struggle for us. There's so many messages coming at us about the things we need in our lives, the comforts that we need. And Lord, we just confess that we listen to them far too often and that we miss this picture that you painted for us of where you want our treasure to be. And Lord, I just pray for those that are here today that are feeling this burden, that are feeling the chains of debt. And they're thinking about those bills waiting at home and how they're going to pay them and maybe even feeling hopeless that there's not a way out. But Lord, we know that you offer hope today. Just pray that we would all put our hope and our trust in you in this area of our lives. And Lord, when we think about our spiritual life, help us to add this dimension of how we're using our money, our time, and our possessions to honor you. And when I think about our generosity, Lord, Lord, help us think about the Macedonian church. Help us to think about the fact that we are those that are rich in this world. And to help us to give generously to your kingdom. And God, I want to lift up the marriages in here today that might be struggling, Lord. Where this is an area of tension, an area of stress. And I just ask that you would step into the middle of that. And that you would be present. That you would help couples to communicate and to share their hopes and dreams, and to carry this burden together, Lord. Lord, and then I just pray for our future. Pray for our future as individuals when we, as we want to set aside these chains. And we want to be able to follow you into freedom and take hold of life that is truly life. Lord, give us the courage and the discipline to do that today, God. So now, Lord, such a privilege to give back to you. And I ask that you would take this offering and you'd use it to expand your kingdom, Lord. We just thank you for being with us today, Lord, and ask as we go from here that you would allow us to live in freedom, God. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.